This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. First of all, I want to say good morning to the um, online community that's watching and listening right now. Good morning to you guys, and we're glad you're with us. We're doing this series called The 360 Christian, and, um, you know, we spent the last three years really with a hyper-focus as a church on evangelism, and we're not taking our eye off of evangelism, but really what I'm hoping for us to do as a church this year is really become a more well-rounded disciple. That, that, yes, we are reaching out in evangelism. We are always reaching out in evangelism. But we're also um, reaching up in worship, right? Last week, we talked about Romans 12. This whole series is out of Romans chapter 12. And it says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, when you see the gospel, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So when you see what Jesus has done for you, offer your life as a living sacrifice, this is your act of worship, right? So we reach up in worship. We reach out in, in evangelism. We reach around in community. We bring each other in um, to have a great experience in any local church. You gotta have relationships and responsibilities. We reach down. We stoop to great depths to serve others in Jesus' name. And then we dig deep in discipleship. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. I don't have a... Um, of like a whole passage. We're going to do one verse today. Last week we did Romans 12.1. Today we're going to do Romans 12.2. And uh, we're going to talk about patterns and the patterns of the world. And I don't know if you know this, but you have habits and patterns that you do every day without thinking of. You, uh, when you wake up, you probably have a pattern. Many of you, you probably, the first thing you do when you wake up is you reach for your phone, right? Um, some, some of you, you, you know, you stumble down like a zombie to get coffee. Like you have your routines, the way you shower, all of those things are routines and we all have them and we're all have little different idiosyncrasies to us, right? So those of you that haven't been married before, <laughs> you'll see. Um, it's <laughs> gonna be tough for you, um, but you'll figure it out, okay? So we have all these little idiosyncrasies to our lives and we like things a certain way. And I was learning the other day, I thought everyone did this the same way. I, I didn't realize that people actually were different when it came to this. So I, um, I, I found out there's two ways of dressing your feet in the morning. See, I, every morning, when I wanna put things on my feet, I put my socks on first and then I put my shoes on. How many of you do it that way? Show of hands, okay. Now, I had no idea that there was a whole nother group of humans out there that do sock, shoe, sock, shoe. How many of you do it that way? Okay, okay, hold them high, be proud, be proud, hold them high. Everyone look around, these people are communists and pagans. They hate America. That is the weirdest thing to me. I had no idea people did it different until the other day. I was getting my hair cut and the, the girl that cuts my hair asked me how I, I was like, what are you talking about? There, there's only one way to do it. You put your socks on and your shoes. 
So there's all kinds of patterns we have and they're different. So um, we're gonna read Romans 12 too. And this morning, no scripture reader, you don't need to stand, it's one verse, we're all good. Okay, I know sometimes like you, it's a pattern, you're used to standing when we read scripture. So I guess if you want to for one verse, you don't have control problems or anything, don't worry. Um, so I'm gonna read you Romans 12 too. Look what it says. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me read that again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Okay, so th this verse is packed with all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's packed with power and I, I, wanna, I wanna talk to you about it. So um, for, first, I just wanna kind of break it down grammatically so, so that it makes sense. And, and I want you to know, I am um, not an expert in the English language. I barely can speak it good, okay? <laughs> so uh, bear with me, but I do know this about it because I, I went, I, I translated it myself. I went and looked at the original language and the truth of the matter is um, this verse is in the passive voice and um, really what it, what it means is that the subject is being acted upon continuously. And what that really, let me break it down to you, is what it means is that you're being transformed, you're renewing your mind, you're not conforming. All of those things are not a one-time event in your life. It's something you're continually doing your whole life. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across in the original language. So, um, if I were to translate it, my, my own kind of hybrid translation, because I just want to get the meaning. We already have a good translation here. The mean, the, if I were to translate it, I would say it this way. Stop allowing yourselves to be molded by the influencing systems and values of the secular world. That's, that's really what Paul's get, trying to get, get across there. And see, it's right in line with what Jesus talked about in the Gospels, what all the other apostles talked about it as well. As a matter of fact, John, I don't know if you know, the apostle John was um, Jesus's favorite apostle. Well, according to John, uh, when you read his gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Yeah, just saying, thank you. So, but I, I, I wanna read you something out of 1 John because this echoes the sentiment of Jesus. And then John says it year, years later. He says um, in John 2, 15 through 17, 1 John, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. Now, let me explain what, what I'm talking about. He's not talking about don't be an environmentalist, don't hug a tree. Um, he's not talking anything about the physical earth we live on. The world is, and he's gonna explain what the world is. It, it, it's, it's something bigger and more ominous than the physical world. As a matter of fact, we know Genesis, God told us to be stewards of the earth. It's ours to take care of. Okay, so, but he says this. He defines it, verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let me explain that to you really quick. The lust of the flesh. See, in the, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word, and it means, we translate it as flesh. Um, it's a Greek word called sarks. Everyone say sarks. Okay, so sarks is a... Um, Really, it's, it's more of what your human nature is, more than your skin. 
It can mean skin, but when, when the Bible typically refers to sarks, it's referring to your nature. And here's the thing. Um, the writers of scripture have, have taught it over and over and over is that every human deep in our nature is sinful. Like even when we wanna do good, we still sin. I, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said, you know, when, when, when I want to do good, I end up doing the opposite. And when I want to sin, I, I sin. And, and here, here, anyone in this room, you ever knew what the right thing was and you knew you were supposed to do it and you said you were gonna do it and then you went and did the exact opposite and did the wrong thing? No one in this room? Okay, thank you. All the people on Facebook are raising their hand right now. Okay. <laughs> They're lying, <laughs> liars, right? So here, here's the deal. Um, that's the lust of, of, of the flesh. That's us doing what our nature wants to do. Is we, we all are sinful from birth. And you're like, what? You're calling my baby a sinner? Yes. Um, here's what's gonna happen. Your little sweet little baby is gonna learn how to talk. And it'll probably say mama, dada, Nana, Papa, you know, is the first few words. And after about, you know what the 10th word that baby is going to say? No. It was your 10th word and it haunted you the rest of your life. Because we all have this kind of self-will. Um, even when we want to do something good. Um, you ever done a good deed, but somewhere in there it was a little selfish motive? Oh, only me. I know. Okay. So he says, that's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. That's, um, have you ever been jealous of someone? You ever wanted something someone had? You ever seen someone climb the, the ladder and you wanted to knock them off and take their spot on it? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> if you're listening online, we do have a peanut gallery. But here's the deal. There are times where maybe you looked at your spouse or you looked at someone else's spouse or you looked at someone and said, I wish they were my spouse. I wish they were this. I wish I had that. That's the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life is really us saying, well, I know God says this way, but I'm gonna go this way. I know this is truth, but it's just not the right truth for me. That's the pride of life. That's you knowing better or saying, well, you've given me the choice and I've chosen not to. So he says, he defines the world as that, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then it says, uh, verse 17, the world and its desires, flesh, eyes, pride, will pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So if you have an outline, you're taking an outline. Number, number one is this, guys. You have to know this. Discipleship, becoming a disciple of Jesus is a decision. It's a decision that you make. It's up to you. Now, I want you to understand something. Um, there is a difference between being saved and being a disciple. And I want to explain the difference to you, okay? Um, you are saved by grace. It's nothing that you did. It's what Jesus did for you. And what the Bible says very clearly, it says it all over the New Testament, is things like this. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. That easy. You're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I got to do something else. Nope. It's that easy. 
It says in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That easy. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. That easy. You're saved. Your sins get forgiven past, present, future. That's good news, right? Okay? And you being saved is not predicated on how good you were. Remember last week, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in full view of whose mercy? God's mercy. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship. It is not. This is where religion gets it mixed up. Give your bodies a living sacrifice, and then you'll get God's mercy. That's worship. That's religion, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's actually from the devil. I'm just letting you know. The Bible confirms that. It's God gave you his grace. Now let's follow him out of gratitude. And that's how we worship. So discipleship is a decision now. It's an ongoing decision. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, right? When the um, first disciples made their decision to follow Jesus, they had no idea what they were in for. When I first decided to follow Jesus, I asked Jesus in my heart, I got saved when I was like five or six at this little program called Awanas, which is like Boy Scouts for Ned Flanders kids. Like, onward Christian soldiers. And I sent all my kids to it. I love Awanas. They made me memorize all these verses, planted God's word in my heart. I accepted Jesus every time they asked, just in case. (laughs) I didn't know that I only needed to do it once, but I did it every time just in case because I wasn't going to hell. Okay, but I did not understand how to follow Jesus. No one taught me that yet. And my little brain couldn't wrap my head around it either. And everyone's different in their life. Like some people from early on, they figured it out. Other people, it takes later. I met a guy recently that came to Christ in his 80s. And he's just leaning into being a disciple of Jesus. That's awesome. Um, You know, and he looks back and goes, man, I wish I would have seen this sooner. But here's the thing. Everyone's different. But being saved is different than being a disciple because after you get saved, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then Jesus calls you to follow him. And you're like, well, I will follow Jesus if, you know, you'll just kind of tell me what's in store. Because I, 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 I need to know, and if, you, if I know what God has for me, and I know what, 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 what's going to happen through my life, then I can trust him and I can lean into it, and you're cute. Um, let, let's be honest, there are some of us in this room that are control freaks, and part of the reason we won't lean into trusting God is like we need to be in control, and I'm here to remind you again and encourage you that you are not the creator of the universe And as much as you do to feel in control of your life, you're actually not. You're actually not, Larry. Okay. You guys are lively today. So in in, um, the New Testament, there's a story. It's true. It's a true story. It's the story of Matthew. And I want to pull the curtain back and give you a little background on it really quick. So there's four gospels. Those are four stories of, four accounts of Jesus's life. And they're all told from a little different perspective. Just like if we all saw something unfold, we'd all tell it a little different, but it'd be the same story, right? So Matthew tells his. And Matthew was a Jewish man 
And that wasn't his original name. What you're going to find is a lot of the early Christians, when they became believers in Jesus, they took on a new name. Either God gave them a new name or whatever. whatever. So Matthew's real name or his original name, his Jewish name was Levi. Everyone say Levi. Okay, Levi was his name. And Matthew was Jewish and he was a tax collector. Now, um, I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, tax collector. Yeah, we don't like them. Unless you are here today and you work for the IRS, I love you. Please do not audit me. Listen. Um, so like in our culture, like the, the tax man is a little bit feared, but, and kind of like, eh. But you know, like we, don't, we all know someone that works for IRS. We live in Fresno, right? That, that's not, not a thing. But here's what I need you to understand in, in um, Israel at this time in history. So Rome has come in, they're a conquering empire. They're oppressing the Israelites, they're enslaving them, they're taxing the heck out of them. Um, the Israelites had this inherent belief that they were God's people and God must be punishing them because these fil this filthy pagan empire has come in and is oppressing us. And then here's Matthew, a Jew who decided to be work for Rome and a tax collector would have Roman soldiers at his disposal. Um, they usually would have a tax office outside of the road on a Roman road near all the villages and anyone as they came and went, they would tax them. And he would also send his soldiers into the villages to tax people on a regular basis. And the way they made their living back then is they took taxes and then they took some more so they could have some off the top. And tax collectors in that day were wealthy. They were well-to-do. So here's Matthew, a Jew, robbing his own people, his family members, people he loved, people he knew. He was not just viewed as a bad guy. He was a traitor. He was a misfit. He was an outcast. He would have been shunned in the synagogue. He would have been shunned by his family. He would have been son shunned by the Jews. He would have been seen as a guy that sold out his very people for the high and mighty dollar. And the only friends he probably had were ta other tax collectors, Gentiles, pagans, prostitutes, drunks, all the misfits. You thought I was gonna say Raider fans, huh? No, Not, no, Raider fans are great. So here's the deal. Jesus comes to Matthew and Jesus was in Capernaum and if, if like, I'm taking a group this summer and I'm taking another group in the in spring of next year, but I'll, I'll, I will take you to Capernaum. You'll see the place where Jesus lived with, um, it was his hometown um, when he was doing his ministry. He, uh, Peter had a house there. We take you to Peter's house. You see the synagogue where he preached, all of that. And just outside of the city of Capernaum, just, just a few hundred yards down the road, they found the ruins of a tax collector's office or booth. Right? And that's where Matthew would have been. And Jesus would have walked right out of Capernaum. He would have walked over to the tax collector's booth. And in Matthew 9, 9, he records the story of it. It says, um, right, right here, it says, as Jesus went on from there, that's Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. See, when Jesus asked Matthew or any of the disciples, he said, follow me. And we don't know the full conversation that's going on there. We only know what Matthew said. It's brief that Jesus said, follow him. And he left everything and followed him. Matthew had no idea 
what that meant. He had no idea what was in store for him. He had no idea that he and these 12 other misfits would go on to change the world. He had no idea that 30 years from that day, he would be in Ethiopia and he would be martyred for his faith, slain by a sword because he would not denounce Christ. He had no idea of what God had for his life. He just made the decision like, okay, I'm in, let's go. And some of you, what's holding you back is that need to know, that need for control. And I want you to understand something. That's not the life of faith. And I want to remind you one more time, you, you, you really aren't in control of a lot of things in this world. There may be a few that you really have. And it's the decision, your decisions, what you decide. And you can decide to wait, and that's a decision. You can decide not to, and that's a decision. You can decide to ignore the call of Jesus. That's a decision. See, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. I don't know if you know this. Um, the world we live in, it shapes us no matter what you think. I love this passage of, in, in, or this verse in Christianity. It kind of strikes a chord in my like kind of anti-establishment punk rock nature that I have. Like, I like that it says, don't conform. It's like a new way to redefine defiance. See, because the world is all going one way. And um, I'm just gonna let you know, even a dead fish can swim downstream with all the other fish. And you wouldn't know. It takes something alive and with resolve to swim upstream. And this is what, this is what uh, Paul's talking about. Do not conform. And see, you are, the one thing you are in charge of is you are in charge of what you will commit to. You know, I, I always ask who's the church, but who, who's ridiculously in charge? Yeah, yeah. So as much of no control you have on this world, you do have control of your decisions. And see, you're the sum total of your commitments. You know, if you want to know who you are, you'll look at what you're committed to. It will tell you who you are. Um, tell me what you're committed to and I'll tell you what you look like in 20 years. I mean, I mean it's, it's very, very easy. And see, every choice we make affects our future. And then you get paranoid about it. You're like, I'm just not gonna make any choices. And um, some of you, you have that thing going on too. I live with someone that's like that. I'll be, I'll be like, hey, where, where do you wanna go to dinner? I don't know, where do you wanna go? Oh, okay, um, let's, go, let's go to In-N-Out. Mm. <laughs> if you like that, I guess. No, that's no, fine, it's fine. How about um, Westwoods? Ooh, that's expensive. <laughs> Chipotle? That's a good idea, Sean. Let's go there. Did I just decide that on my own? Listen, but every choice you make, you really are the sum total of your decisions. We live in a culture that doesn't want to believe that. As a matter of fact, we live in a culture where we always want to blame another group for what has happened to us. And there may be people that have affected what's happened to us, but you still are in charge of how you'll respond to what's happened to you. And you are the sum total of your, of, of your, your, your decisions. And um, the culture we live in is, this group is doing this and they're bad and they never want to keep their side of the street clean. They just want to divert and point to other groups and what they're doing. 
rather than, I would love for once for just a politician to be like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That was stupid. I can't believe I said that. You guys know what it's like. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it. In my lifetime, never heard one say that. I have a friend who um, comes from a very dysfunctional family background. Um, lots of abuse, physical, sexual, drugs, alcohol, codependency, you, you name it. Like they're, they're, his family reunion should be like just a full-on CR meeting. But listen, um, at a certain point of, in his life, he kept shooting himself in the foot. Life would be going great, life would be going great, and he'd make a terrible decision that would wreck his life, wreck his relationships, wreck all of that. And, um, and every time he'd be like, well, it's because my dad did this, it's because I grew up this way, it's because I grew up. And finally, at a certain point in his life, he got sick and tired of blaming other people, and he decided to be transformed. And it didn't happen overnight. He's still in the process, he'd tell you. He's still a work in process, you know, and, and, and it, it is not easy, but what he decided to do is he started to change the habits in his life. He actually detoxed from a lot of things in his life. Not just, it wasn't just drugs and alcohol. He pulled away from a lot of the world. I don't know if you know this, but um, the average American spends 35 hours a week in front of a screen. Think about that for a minute. 35 hours in front of one of these, 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 one of, I mean, they're all over the place. And every time we do this, we get that dopamine rush and we're all a bunch of dope fiends. So, and all of it is influencing us. It's the world. What you take in is what you will be full of, right? So I want you to think about that. You spend 35 hours in front of, your, in front of a screen, and if you're younger, it's higher. It's in the 40s, okay? Um, and you spend 35 hours in front of a screen, you see 4,000 advertisements every day on an on a average. 4,000 advertisements every day. And Madison Avenue knows this, that you and I, our physiology, they're screwing with our physiology. They're telling you, you're not enough. You don't have enough. You need this to be enough. So what happens when 4,000 times a day you're told you don't have enough, you're not enough, you need more, this will make you happy? You will believe it and you don't even know it, you're like a fish swimming in the ocean. He doesn't know he's, what water is. It's just the thing he's in. And then you're not just watching advertisements, you're watching different forms of media, whether it's conservative or liberal or whatever, you're all taking it in and they play on your physiology too because what, what news media likes to do is keep you scared and it's the fight or flight thing in you and they want you worried about this group or these people or this thing happening to you. I saw one the other day, it was cracking me up. An epidemic about buses almost hitting children. Really, that's an epidemic now. See, what they're doing is they're playing on your physiology and the world is influencing us no matter what. And what my friend did, it was, um, it was very brave and it took him a while to detox from it. He literally just pulled away. He went almost monk status. He stopped watching TV. He listened to only Christian music. He, um, when he's in the car, he just, you know, he either prayed or he just, you know, listened to a message, a podcast or music. And he just began to detox from the influence of the world. And over time, here's what happened. He realized just how sick his soul had gotten. 
and just how his whole life he had conformed to the pattern of his family, which was worldly. He conformed to the pattern of his schooling, which was worldly. I always love it. You see, you know, you get a kid that's on fire for Jesus and they're like, I'm gonna be a missionary. I'm gonna give my life to Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve him overseas. And I go, that's awesome. I go, where are you gonna go to school? And they're like, Berkeley. <laughs> Dang, lost one. It's a saying. See, because you are who you spend your time with. You are what you take in. So, You have to decide to be a disciple. Dallas Willard, he said this. He said, there's a cost to our discipleship. Not like a financial cost. There's a life cost. That when you lean into following Jesus, it will cost you something. There will be things you have to sacrifice. There will be things that you will have to pick up and other things you have to put down. But here's what I want you to know. The God of the universe has you every bit of the way. Even when you don't feel it, even when he feels far from you, the Bible promises he's gonna finish what he started in you once you lean into it. But here's the thing. I want you to consider the cost of non-discipleship. How's not following Jesus working for those of you that are Christians? I think there's a higher cost in your life right now. I know it was for me. So number two, discipleship is a direction. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now think about this for a minute. In the old King James, King Jimmy translates it this way. It says, be ye transformed. What that means is transform yourself. You don't wait magically for God to go, you see the world completely different and you're, now you're like, birds are landing on your shoulders and you're like shaking babies and kissing, you know, whatever. And you know, you're just this perfect person. It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. Here's what it says. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Realize that the world has affected who you are and the way you think and the way you see things. And then begin to transform your mind by putting God's word into it by putting the things of God into it and watch what happens over time, the way you see the world, the way you see things. You'll start seeing the world for what it is. So some of you are asking, well, what do I do to become a better disciple? Like, what should, give me something to do, pastor. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Number one, discipleship happens in community. It happens together. Um, This is why today we have growth group connection. This is why we want people to get in a growth group because you, discipleship always happens with a people. And it takes time. It takes time to develop relationships and learn to trust people and all that. But here's what I, I, I will promise you. If you will lean in to being part of a smaller community, discipleship happens in circles more than it happens in rows. And you'll lean into that over time. What you'll find is that group will help you when you are lost. It'll help you when you are weak and you will help them when they are weak and you will have each other. And it may take time. You may get in a group and you're like, nah, this group's not for me. It's not working. You get another group, doesn't work. You finally, you find the one. Um, I'm one, more one of those people that I just joined a group and I didn't care who was in it. I'm gonna make it work. I'm with them. These are my people. Sucks for you guys. So, but it happens in community. This is why we do growth groups. This is why we do classes. You know, if you're scared to get into a growth group, maybe you sign up for a 201 class on February 5th. You can fill it out on, on your card. 
Um, it also happens in larger community. When we come together, there's something to be said about coming and worshiping corporately, listening to the proclamation of the gospel, listening to the teaching of God's word. All of that happens. And sometimes you're like, eh, that wasn't super inspired. I didn't well up and cry. It was like a C. And here's what I want you to understand. That may happen from time to time. It may happen a lot. But, but coming together corporately, one is commanded in the book of Hebrews. It says, do not forsake meeting together as some have done and shipwrecked their faith. But listen, then it also, you, you have to understand this. Um, do you remember what you had for dinner on Tuesday, December 4th? Probably not. But you ate it. It filled you and you moved on and huh, you were hungry again Wednesday morning. You have to keep feeding. It's not just on Sunday. It's throughout your week. There's, there's habits that have to happen in, in your life. So that leads me to the next part. Besides growth groups and classes and public worship, is discipleship that happens in our, in our habits. Okay? Um, I would encourage you to um, get involved in the prayer and fasting thing we're doing. Um, some of you are like, listen, I'm very anal retentive and it's 21 days of prayer and fasting and you guys already started. There's only seven days left, so I cannot do that. And I, my advice to you is get over yourself and do seven days of prayer and fasting. It's better than zero. As a matter of fact, or you could do 21 starting today. And you don't have to like starve yourself. You could fast something else. I'm fasting social media right now. Every time I want to do this and be a dope fiend and hit, get the dopamine rush, I pray for one of you. I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. It's that easy. You can find some way to fast. Um, I have a friend. They've been fasting one day a week and they're just working their way up to it. They, they're like, listen, I don't go without food. I'm a big fat dude. Um, so I'm just fasting lunch. And I'm usually pretty angry by five o'clock, but... God's teaching me patience. It's cool. Maybe, um, oh, by the way, and next Saturday, all the churches in our city, almost all of them are doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. So who's the church? Yeah, yeah, the people are doing it, not the organizations. But we've been meeting at a different church every night during the 21 days. Next Saturday night, it's here. There's gonna be hundreds of people from all over, different uh, Christian traditions. They'll be like the, Jesus paid it all. Like people that are real like, like that and they would be freaked out here. There's like holy rollers coming here. Like it, it's gonna be all over the place, okay? But it's gonna be awesome next Saturday night. Um, some of you, you just replace a habit in your life. Maybe you replace a bad habit with something. Or maybe you stack something on top of a habit. If you go to the gym a lot, maybe while you're at the gym, you listen to worship music. Maybe you listen to a podcast, a teaching. Maybe um, before you work out, you just sit and you, you listen to the, to the Bible for a minute or two. You know, the Bible app, it has an audio version on it. You know, some of you are like, I'm dyslexic, I can't read. Listen. Maybe uh, you start taking a Sabbath. Maybe that's one of the ways you lean into it. Like you actually take a, a real day off where you kind of dedicate it to God and not to this and striving and doing stuff. And you know, maybe you're closed on Sunday, just like Chick-fil-A. For some of you, you, you're doing a lot of those things and God bless you, that's great. And you're like, well, I turned you off a while ago because I'm, I'm good. Um, I wanna encourage you, 
wake up for a minute and listen to me. Um, you are not mature until you're fruitful. I, I want you to understand that. The habits don't make you mature unless you're bearing fruit. Okay? Um, part of bearing fruit maybe is grabbing someone that's not as far along and saying, hey, let me show you how to, what I've learned. And anyone can do that. You, I guarantee you, you can find someone in this room who's not as far along spiritually as you. So, discipleship is a process, guys. I love this in Philippians chapter um, 1, verse 6. Paul says this. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is really good news for me. I don't know about you. That because the last time I checked, I'm still a work in process. As a matter of fact, look at your neighbor right now and tell him you're a piece of work. <laughs> the Bible even says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, that he's at work in you and he wants to work through you to help other people as well. So he's going to finish what he started in you and you may feel like you're stranded right now spiritually. You may feel plateaued spiritually, but you can rest on the promise that God's going to do it, not you. You just make the decision to turn your heart toward him and lean in. Now, now some of you, I, I want you to understand this. For you, may, there's some of you in this room that your decision today is to take that first step and believe in Jesus. The Bible says that, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That you have to receive him. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. That God wants to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and make you the person he created you to be. That person that you don't know what it looks like, but you feel deep in your bones you know you're supposed to be. God has that for you, and you have to take that first step and receive him. There's others of you, you've done that, and maybe it's a, a rededication. I'm gonna be honest to you, at nine o'clock service, we were singing another in the fire. I rededicate my life to the Lord right there. It happens all the time, remember? It's an ongoing thing in your life. Be ye transformed. So, Matthew. So after Jesus says, hey, follow me, and Matthew's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And he just goes, he's following him. You know, in the Bible, it says in Matthew 9, that night, Jesus went to Matthew's house for dinner and he had a party at his house. Now, I want you to think about it. Um, he didn't, Matthew is a misfit. He is an outcast. He hung out with the pagan tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks, all the bad dudes, okay? He, that was his crowd. He was pushed out of his own people. His family rejected him. And that night when he had a dinner at his house and he invited all his friends, you know who was there? All the misfits. All of them. And, and, and here's the thing. The religious people were super bothered by it. They looked in and they saw all the misfits. And they were like, why is, if he was a prophet, he would know that these are bad people. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I, the, I did not come to save the righteous. I came for sinners. Amen. The sick need the doctor, not those who think they are well. Those who think they are well. See, if you're here today and you're like, man, I haven't been to church in a long time and I'm, I'm feeling really guilty and 
these people all know it. They all know that I'm not like super religious and they're looking at me. We're not. Um, and you feel like a misfit right now. Um, I'm gonna let you in on something. I know all these people. It's a bunch of misfits. I'm letting you know. You're, you're welcome home. Clovis Hills, the home of the misfits. My name is Sean. I am the chief misfit. And that's who Jesus came for. So for some of you guys, today's your day. We have this tradition at Clovis Hills when someone makes that decision to invite Jesus into their heart to be saved. We give them a bulb and a Bible. And this bulb represents Jesus, the light of the world living in you. And you take that bulb and you screw it into the Jesus' life, light and love sign. And it lights up and it's just a way for you to mark the day that, you know what? I wandered into this church on January 9th, 2020 and the God of the universe was knocking at the door of my heart. And I took a bold move. I opened it and invited him in. And then I told the world I'm with him. That is the greatest thing you can do. And you, you know, um, here's, here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and you can invite Jesus in if you've never done that before. Some of you, you can rededicate yourselves to him. Some of you, you can ask God for that next step in your discipleship. How do you dig deeper in who you are? It's not, what do I do next? It's, Lord, how do I know you more? But when we're done praying, Marlena and the band, they'll come out and they're gonna sing again. And while we're singing, I wanna encourage you, if is to work up the courage is while we're singing, come down and I'll be hanging out up front here and I'll give you your, your bulb. And um, the cool, one of the funnest things is this church knows that's the greatest decision you ever made. And they'll cheer you on, man. It's a lot of fun. If you're scared, bring your friend with you, whatever you gotta do. Last service, um, it, was, it was so cool. This, this man raises his hand and his little daughter looks up and goes, they both did. They both accepted Jesus, came down. It's beautiful. It's a brave thing. Today's your day. Let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.